0: 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 is where we're going. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you promised that when we gather together, two or more, in your name, that you're with us. Thank you that by your spirit you are present in this place in a way that transcends, uh, Material reality. You're here to speak to us, to help us, guide us, shape our hearts, and to help us become who you've created us to become. So I pray now that as we we look to your word, that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Part 16 is entitled, A Living Imitation. Go ahead and jump right in. Okay. Guys, I'm going to give us just a little bit of context. We'll get there, but um, that's it. That's our text for this morning. It's a big chunk. We're going to break it down um, as best as we can. But let me give us just a little bit of context. So If we back up just slightly, um, chapter 10, verse 31 Paul's writing to the church and he says, so, these are concluding thoughts. He says, so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Gentiles, to the church or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This really should have been the end of chapter 10. This is his concluding thought after a whole 10 chapters of challenging, correcting, and and tweaking, and and exhorting the followers of Jesus in Corinth. This is his concluding thought. Be imitators of me as I am am of christ and then he goes on to talk about uh head coverings and we'll get to that in a few weeks actually but this is his concluding thought be imitators of me as i am of christ we have stumbled upon one of the keys to understanding christianity One of the keys to understanding Christianity, there's something about what Paul has been talking about, what we have been talking about for, what, 15, 16 weeks now as we just slowly work through this ancient letter to these believers in Jesus. There's something about what he's been talking about that we should be able to stand back and say, I see it. I, I see what you're talking about because as I observe the way you're living, this is something that I can imitate. What we find here, and this is this is not the first time he said this. In fact, he says something almost just like this towards the end of chapter four, a little bit earlier on in the letter. Only he simply says, Imitate me. Here he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But we find here that this following Jesus, this uh, religion, if you will, that we refer to as Christianity, it's more than just something to think about. It's more than just uh, things to do. It certainly, it's both of those things. But more than that, it's a. It's an experience to be embodied. You know it because you can see it. And Paul is saying, listen, this isn't just something for you to ponder. This isn't just a list of to-dos for you to action and get on about. I want you to look at the way I'm living. And like a, a little girl or a little boy, a son or a daughter imitates their parent I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see this actually in several other instances throughout Scripture. So Paul, Paul's written several letters to various ancient churches that, that we call the New Testament. Here, let, me, let me read off a few to you. Um, I already referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. He writes uh, in a letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says, you became imitators of me or of us and of the Lord for you received the word, the gospel, in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It says in Hebrews chapter six, verse 12, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. And Paul writing again to the Ephesians it says in Ephesians chapter five verse one, "The imitators of God as beloved children." Following Jesus is an observable phenomenon. It's something that you can look at and say, "I get it, I see it. I can imitate that. Isn't that something? What does that even mean? How how does one do that? What does that actually look like? We, like children, who mature by imitating our mother or father, are transformed as we learn to act like God says we are. Because Christianity is more of an experience to be embodied rather than merely an idea to be pondered. Jesus didn't roam around the Judean countryside handing out autographed copies of Jesus Calling. He actually, and it's a great book by the way, it's a wonderful book, it's great, easy. like, well, I love that book, I like the book. He didn't go around handing out books, he called people to follow him, he called people to pick up their stuff, to sell off all their property, their goods, to give away everything they have and begin to follow him. Even before it made any sense, he said, come, follow me. Take my yoke upon yourself. Learn from me. Become like me. And so in this one little phrase here, what Paul is telling us is that this isn't just something to be thought about These aren't just religious actions to be applied. This calling is to become, to become, to become like the person that Jesus has saved us for. So, how does one imitate Jesus? If you aspire to imitate Jesus, if you aspire, aspire to imitate me as I attempt to imitate Jesus. How does one know if they're actually doing it right? It's a fair question, yeah? What does the process look like? Is there a pattern for what this imitating Jesus is, actually looks like? What does it feel like? Well, let me say this. It, it is messy. It is messy, but it's, not complicated. I wanna break this down um, in three ways. Three point sermon, classic. (laughs) The river, the garden, and the empty cave. The river, the garden, and the empty cave. The process of imitating Christ begins in a river. Now, we're gonna jump out of 1 Corinthians, if that's all right with you. And skip over to one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Let me read this to you. We start in the river. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. If you've read the Gospels, you should be well familiar with this passage. What do you guys think of my dove? Sorry, I, I, I have to take credit. I drew that dove. I was going to attempt it live. The last time I did that, it, was, it just didn't work out. So there it is, I drew that. Um, there. There's the river. And there's the dove. Imitating Christ begins in a river. It begins with the voice of the father speaking out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Imitating Christ begins with identity. Begins with truth. And that truth informs how God sees us in Christ. The river is significant because there's water and there's the spirit involved. Jesus says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born of water and of spirit. The theme of water and spirit shows up all throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament prophets. You see this being born of water and spirit. Jesus was explaining how one becomes a child of God, you may recall a conversation that Jesus had with with a a religious teacher, one of the Pharisees, in in John chapter 3, and he says to Nicodemus, he says, if you want to experience, if you want to see and enter the kingdom of God, if you want to experience what you're observing in my life, you must be born of water and of spirit. It's an allusion to the beginning. If we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, what do we find? We find water, and we find the Spirit of God hovering over it. Guys, it's, it's no random accident that when Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, according to Luke, when he's baptized in the River Jordan and he's submerged under the water and he comes back out, and we're told that the Holy Spirit descended over the waters and bought in the form of a dove. it has been bizarre and the voice from heaven proclaims over Christ this is my beloved son what's happening here is we're starting over in the same way the spirit hovered over the waters in genesis chapter 1 we now find the son of god in the waters with the spirit descending upon him and god is saying this is my beloved son this is my child in whom I am well pleased. And so it begins. God is hitting the reset button. He's taking us all the way back to the beginning and saying, right, let's do this over. So the starting point takes place in a river. Takes place with the father proclaiming over his child, you are are loved you are loved you've done nothing to deserve it you've done nothing to impress me by it but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us in Christ you are loved and so we begin with identity sonship daughtership The spirit of adoption. Paul, oh goodness, the one who's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he makes a really, really big deal out of the spirit of adoption. That when we say yes to Jesus, when we ourselves, like Jesus, are submerged into the waters of baptism and brought back up, The Father speaks this truth over us. But more than just words, the very spirit of God is poured into our hearts. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the spirit of adoption is placed inside of us, which causes us to cry out, Papa, Abba, Father. And something happens on the inside of us. Something fundamental reshapes our very identity we become children of God. So that's step one, the river. How can you know for certain if that has happened in your heart? How can, how can you know if that's actually a reality that you're experiencing and like walking out in uh, real life, real life? It's a very, very important question. Well, um, let's go from Genesis one to Genesis three. You guys know what happens in Genesis three? Not really great stuff. We find ourselves in a garden. We find Adam and Eve, the children of God, being tempted, being tempted to disobey their good father. And so we come to a garden. If we go back to Luke, we find another garden. Let me read this to you. Luke chapter 22, verses 40 to 46. And when Jesus came to the place, he said to them, his his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's thinking about the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground that's that's proper anxiety and when he rose from prayer he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow they, they cried themselves to sleep and he said to them why are you sleeping rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation into temptation we're in the garden again and jesus like Adam and Eve, like our parents, like the original children of God, are being tempted. And Jesus, unlike the original children of God, overcomes that temptation. And he chooses to act like the beloved. What does he do? He obeys. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he's sweating blood over it. How do you know if you've experienced what Jesus refers to as um, being born from above? This idea of the spirit of adoption being placed in your heart and and you receive this, this fundamentally new identity, you begin to realize the truth about who you are, about who God says you are. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter. How do you know that's all like real? And are you actually like experiencing that in real life? What's the evidence? What's, the, what's the, uh, the indication? You obey. You obey. Now guys, I'm about to go someplace where I rarely, I rarely go. So just, just hold on. Buckle up. We're going to talk about obedience. I believe wholeheartedly in the grace of God. I, I'm... I'm one, one could say I'm relatively obsessed with the grace of God. We're called Grace City. Mm-hmm. When I begin thinking or speaking or praying or talking to someone about obedience, it almost can feel like this slight shock to the system, like, but, but what about grace? Mm, what about grace? Paul writes in a letter to uh, one of his Disciples, one of his spiritual sons, Titus. He says in Titus chapter two that the grace of God trains us to live righteously. The grace of God empowers us to obey God. As a parent, you know how I know my, my sons or my daughter are, are being loved well? when they're being obedient, when they're being obedient. Let's talk about obedience. John, Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. First John, chapter two, verses three to four. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's the river, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Obedience. How do you know if you've been adopted into the family of God? How do you know you're actually being transformed from the inside out? It's not super complicated. You obey. You obey the commands of Jesus. Obey how? We should probably qualify that a little bit. So what exactly, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, well, I could, I could have a short list I could read off to you. Give, serve, bless, forgive, confess, trust him, rest in him, die to self, and live for God and others. Just a short list there. Essentially, it, it, it boils down to this. Whatever your heavenly father has given to you obedience looks like you reciprocating. You've been forgiven, we're commanded to forgive others. You have been blessed, we are commanded to bless others, including our enemies. We have been given, we give. Jesus died for us, we lay our lives down for others. Whatever our heavenly father has done for us, we are commanded to do for others. It's, it's not, it's super messy, not complicated at all. Um, if you're a parent, this is just the most obvious thing in the universe. If you have any kids, not many of you don't, so I don't, I don't mean to, um, to patronize you, but I've got a few. I talk about them a lot. God's constantly convicting me through my relationship with my children. Um, I love my kids to death. Love them. I think, I think I might die for them. Ho- hope it never comes to it, but I love them. I think they know I love them. When I am disciplining them, when I'm telling them to do something, like feed the dog or pick up their toys or whatever, and they're not being obedient, uh, you know that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not I love them less or have stopped loving them. Now they often feel, by the way they act, you would think that like I've just pronounced like condemnation over them. Like I've just withdrawn all affection and love. I mean, it's quite funny actually. It's not funny, but it is funny. Um, The way they kind of look at me when I tell them to like empty the dishwasher. You would think that like, but Father, I, I thought you loved me. It doesn't feel They never actually said this But this is what they're saying It doesn't feel like like I'm being loved right now And you know what I say Has nothing to do with anything You know I love you You know I love you And I know you hate this You know discipline is miserable But it's because I love you And they're acting like loved children When they obey They're acting like secure, loved, beloved children when they obey mama and papa. How do we know that we have come to be known by our heavenly father? We imitate him like children. We obey him, we act like him, we reciprocate what he's like. And if we're not doing that, the problem has nothing to do with our feelings. You know, we are, I, I think we're all aware of this, like, weird phenomenon. I hate to, like, always bash the millennials, but apparently it's it's the millennials. It's not me. It's the millennials. <laughs> I'm Gen X. We have this weird... It's not just millennials. It's, it's a human thing. We have this weird thing where we're, like, obsessed with being authentic, and if we're expected to do something that doesn't feel right in our hearts, then somehow that... that that means, like, we just shouldn't do it. Um, and that, that really just wrecks, like, everything. It destroys marriages. It causes parents to uh, abandon children. It, it just makes us into, like, incredibly flaky, fickle people. Um, and everyone gets hurt in the, in the process. Everyone gets hurt. If we have been adopted into the family of God, if we are receiving the love of our Father, if the river is a reality for us, then it will look like obedience as we walk it out. Um, It's wonderful when our emotions and our affections align with that, but if we wait for our emotions to align with what we've been commanded to do by our King, our Lord, and our Savior. Uh, then think, guys, we're just going to constantly be spinning our tires. Jesus calls us to receive a new identity in him. He calls us to receive his love, to be adopted into the family of God, and then to obey him. And rarely obedience doesn't feel super exciting. just doesn't. Unless Jesus is like obeying us, you will spend two hours on the iPad. Do it. This is, this is like what I tell my, my eight-year-old to do, right? In which case he's like, praise the Lord, my, my papa loves me. <laughs> it happens occasionally. It doesn't, doesn't take a whole lot of commanding. The battle for obedience is won in the garden. Jesus sweat blood in the garden. Now, you might say, well, wasn't obedience most extremely exemplified on the cross? Yeah, I I suppose. But I would argue that the battle was really won in the garden. This is where Adam and Eve fell. This is where the tempter came and tried to deceive him. This is where he sweat drops of blood. This is where the real agony, this is when the angel had to come and strengthen him because he was at the end of himself. He was so conflicted that he literally out loud said, Father, but not my will. I don't want to do this. I hate this but not my will, your will be done. And it said, being in agony, an angel had to come and minister to him. Do you know that when you've been adopted into the family of God, when you begin to experience the love of God, which he pours into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us, he then takes us on a journey. You know where we will end up? In a garden all the time, every time in the garden, which is where the battle for obedience is won. And there is strength to be found. There will come times in your walk, as you aspire to follow Jesus and become like him, where you feel like, I can't do this, I'm done. I'm, I do not have the will to carry on. And that we can cry out to God, and the Holy Spirit is available, and I don't, I don't really quite get the theology of, of angels and all of that but they're constantly showing up in the scriptures. I love it. The angel makes a cameo. The same thing happened when Elijah, he'd gone out into the desert. He just had this epic spiritual battle between uh, Jezebel and the prophets of Baal, and it's, it's spectacular. You gotta read it, 1 Kings. And he wins this battle. This is this crazy spiritual battle. And it says afterwards, he slips into a state of deep suicidal depression. This is not an exaggeration. He goes out into the desert and he says, Father, I'm no better, Lord God, I'm no better than my fathers who've come before me. Take my life. And an angel comes and strengthens him. Guys, if you aspire to follow Jesus, to imitate Christ as a beloved son or daughter, you will eventually find yourself in a garden and you'll feel overwhelmed you'll feel unable to carry on cry out cry out to Jesus ask him to send angels to strengthen you and by the way we mustn't forget the desert we kind of skipped that bit what happened to Jesus after he came out of the river the very spirit that ascended descended upon him then led him out to the desert what's the desert The desert is where we're, the desert is is strength training for the garden. The desert is where our, our identity is tested. This is where the tempter comes and says, are you really who you think you are? Come on, child of God, you're sick, you're deluded. And this is the voice of the enemy. And Jesus said that he resisted, he resisted. And he said, I know who I am. Satan, shut your mouth. And it says the enemy then left him waiting for a more opportune time. And it came and it took place in a garden. And obedience was won. What comes next? Well, there's really, really good news. We start on the river, we're led to the garden, but ultimately we find ourselves walking out of an empty cave. Jesus didn't die so that we don't have to. He died so that like him, we can. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven, be washed clean, be set into a right relationship with our Father, not so that we can avoid pain and suffering and self-denial, but so that like Jesus, we too can die to self, and rise again and experience new life. We're going to die one way or another. That's actually a fact. You will die. Um, Unless King Jesus returns, and I believe that that is possible before, before that happens. I do believe that. But you can allow your sin to slowly but surely kill you and those around you, And you can experience an eternal kind of death separated from our creator and the author of life. Or you can turn to Jesus who died for you so that your death doesn't have to be in vain, but that as you learn to die to self, you can experience resurrection life, a new kind of life, a spirit-empowered kind of life where every day... Maybe every day you find yourselves learning how to die to self so that you can begin to live for God and for others and experience contentment, joy, true blessedness because Jesus says it's way more blessed to give than to receive. We find ourselves being not only adopted into a family but welcomed into a kingdom, a whole new way of life where we're all sons and daughters, learning to live out our lives as as loved, secure people, not needing to get something from anyone, but having received everything from our heavenly Father, now have more than enough to share with others. And this is the kingdom of God touching down on earth as it's always existed in heaven. This is what our world needs. This is what we're all looking for. The question is just how? For the Corinthians and for us, the call is to get in the river, receive the words of our Heavenly Father. This is truth. From the river, we'll eventually find ourselves in a garden. The battle for obedience is won because it's there we experience the grace of God, the grace that trains us to live as Jesus lived. To not only feel loved, but to act like it. That's the key. To imitate Christ is to be called loved and to respond to the call to live like it. When we do that, we walk out of that empty cave. We begin to experience, I know this is metaphorical, but I don't know if there's a better way to put it. We begin to experience light shining out of darkness. Where there was once death, we now begin to experience a new kind of life where there was once overwhelming, crushing anxiety, worry, and depression, we slowly but surely begin to experience a kind of hope and joy and peace that seems to be coming not just from myself, but from the spirit who's been placed inside of me. This sort of new identity starts to take over. Light. Starts to shine out of darkness. And everywhere we go, we begin to just see empty tombs in our life. Signs that where there was once death, where there was once the stench of hopelessness, new life becomes the reality. So here's the question, guys Where where are you at? Where are we at in that? Have you gotten in the river? Have you received the words of the Father, the truth about who he says you are in Jesus? Is that that a reality that you're willing to embrace? or Are you still stuck on on looking for that identity elsewhere? That's the starting point. Once you've decided to receive God's love, receive what he has done for us, a supreme act of love on the cross, then the next question is, will we act like it? It's called obedience. Can I welcome the worship team to come forward, please? Will we act like it? Will we obey like actual children of God? Well, you may find yourself in a garden right now You may find yourself in a situation where willpower's not super worked out for you, um, where you feel like obedience is the last thing on earth that you want to do right now. Jesus commands us not to worry. Will you obey? Jesus commands us to give because we have been given everything. Will you obey? Jesus commands us to serve because we've been served. Will you obey? Jesus commands us to lay down our life for others. Will you obey? Guys, this isn't meant to be a heavy. This is, I'm just, look, we can't, we can't dodge this stuff. We don't want to work around it. Because after the garden, beyond the cross, we walk out of the grave.